Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Max Bruning. It's June 23rd, 2023. We're at Ponzi Vineyards in Sherwood. Max, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for coming. Uh, first question, why wine? Why wine? Um, I don't know. I don't know if there ever was a why wine for me. Um, starting out, I'm, I'm originally from uh, Michigan, born and raised Traverse City. There is uh, certainly a burgeoning wine industry there. Um, you know, focusing mainly on, on uh, Germanic or Aus, uh, Austrian aromatic whites, um, but we are producing some beautiful red wines there as well, but um, had no interest uh, at that time. It was definitely an industry, but I was more uh, into the arts. And at that point in my life, I was um, studying graphic design, so visual communication arts and uh, noticing a market uh, for beer and wine bottle labels, I started kind of trying, trying to pursue that a little bit with, with a buddy and, you know, ideating and, and mocking up, you know, uh, kind of pitches, you know, for, for labels. And that didn't work out, but in doing so, I, you know, wine started capturing my attention and, and looking at it, kind of assessing it, starting, starting to try it thinking about it, realizing that there's an art within it. Um, and then also, you know, the, the science side, which I didn't pay too much attention to in my academic career. I was always very art focused. I did fine in the sciences. It just wasn't interesting, you know, or interesting enough to, to um, force me to pursue it further. But evaluating wine is kind of where I found this beautiful medium between the both. And I didn't want to get you know, rid of, rid of the art aspects in my life. Um, and so I, I started kind of poking around wineries and talking to people. Uh, they didn't like my labels, but at least they, uh, I was a hard worker and, you know, strong. And they're like, well, we could, we could use you in a lot of ways. This is still in Michigan? Still in Michigan, yeah. So, um, you know, I was working other jobs, but I had some free time, so I picked up a, a part-time gig with Chateau Grand Traverse, which is one of the pioneering wineries there um, in the tasting room. Um, so kind of learned the hospitality side, serving wine, talking about wine, um, you know, doing, doing as much research and, and exploring on my own, uh, you know, outside of work. But I really wanted to be in the cellar. I, I knew that uh, going going in. I really love working, uh, especially physical work and just the excitement and everything that has to do with winemaking and harvest. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I wanted to be in there, but they wouldn't hire me because I could not commit to full time. I was going to school at the community college um, and I was managing a, a pizza place and I worked on the home that I was living in for uh, these folks. And uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get in there. So I volunteered my time during harvest. Any, any open day, any few hours, I would drive out there during harvest. And, you know, it was mainly cat management and cleaning tanks and cleaning drains, you know, but that was fine. It was exciting and, and fun. Um, I 
I was there for a couple years, uh, kind of on and off. I transferred out of um, out of the community college and and graduated from uh, North uh, sorry Northwest Michigan Community College is where I got my my associates in and uh, applied sciences and liberal arts. I I transferred over to the University of Michigan, where I kind of took a deep dive into the hard sciences. Um, I was on the pre-med track, um, focusing mainly on microbio and chemistry. <clears throat> I, they have a department within the University of Michigan's um, LSNA, which is the Literature, Science and Arts, called the PITE program, which is Program in the Environment. And that was the, uh, that was the greenest I could get at the University of Michigan. <laughs> Thinking back, uh, probably should have went to state. Uh, they have one of the best ag programs in the world, um, but Michigan is where I was at and I loved it. So I really focused on as many environmental and science, uh, environment slash science related programs I could do in there. And so I came out with um, a couple special specializations in um, soil chemistry and terrestrial ecology. Um, but bachelor's in, in, in microbiome and, and chem and um, yeah, it was, it was very enlightening. I knew that I didn't want to study wine. Uh, I knew I didn't want to get a degree in enology and or viticulture because for me at that time was um, a limiting uh, thing where if I <clears throat> dove into the world and I didn't like it five years down the road and I paid my way through school, um, to me that's, that's not necessarily a great investment. So I wanted to focus something on uh, a little bit more broad, but has an application, right? So, you know, thinking about microbio and chem, um, you know, it's all applicable, right? And in the fermentation sciences. And um, so at that same time, I was, I, had, uh, I was working on my final project or my thesis, uh, if you want to call it that. And I was targeting um, wineries in Northern Michigan. And one that I targeted was Black Star Farms. And I interviewed Lee Lutz, who is uh, who's the head winemaker managing partner. I don't, I don't know what his title is nowadays, but he's uh, one of my mentors and a very, very uh, good friend. Um, but I drove up to Travers and interviewed him and we started talking. He's like, well, what are you, what are you doing you know, for Harvest? I'm like, well, I'm in school. He's like, well, how flexible are you? And I'm like, I can be flexible. <laughs> and so I arranged my schedule in a way where basically I had an early morning Thursday lab and I'd drive up to Travers and I'd, I'd work with them as long as I could, you know, throughout the weekend and drive back to Ann Arbor on Sunday. Um, and I did that for, you know, for quite a few weeks and uh, that resulted in a job. So after graduating from Michigan, I, I went back to Travers and I worked with with Lee at the uh, Sutton's Bay location, um, focusing on Pinot. Um, and their barrel-aged Chardonnay was there as well. Um, and some other aromatic whites as well. They have the two locations, one on Old Mission and one on, on Leelanau Peninsula, which are both separate AVAs, which is really interesting. Um, so I was there and, uh, you know, continued learning, soaking it in, feeling a sponge. Um, knew I wanted to travel and do the harvest hopping thing, fresh out of school, single. Um, and I had no interest in California. And he said, well, don't be naive. There's places outside of Napa and Sonoma. <laughs> and he had, had happened to have a good friend who was a GM at a winery just outside of Paso. And uh, I interviewed with the winemaker and that was pretty much a shoe in So I, I packed up and, and did a long road trip across country and moved to California. And I was there for about half a year. 
working uh, at a winery just outside of Paso and, and Templeton and then the Adelaide Hills and um, worked with a lot of Rhone varietals, which is which was great and fun because it is a whole different world compared to Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. But had the time to you know travel around, head down to San Luis Obispo and explore the Edna Valley and and you know uh, Santa Maria and you know just kind of did as much as I could when I wasn't working. Um, from there, I went to New Zealand and uh, did a stint there, which was which was fun. It was higher production, um, wasn't a huge interest, but. Again, going back to my mentor, he said, you know, at the very least do a harvest, see if, see if it's something that you like, you know, because you might be surprised. And uh, I figured out that it wasn't what I wanted. It's not that I didn't like it, but it wasn't what I wanted. And it helped me kind of hone in what my sweet spot was, which happens to be about our, you know, volume here at Ponzi. Um, after New Zealand, coupled with uh, my girlfriend of almost 10 years now who got into grad school at Pacific University um, and received her doctorate from there that's what kind of brought us to Oregon we were kind of at a crossroads in our in our life and relationship and you know neither of us were going to compromise on our career goals and there were only a handful of places that she could go to school and I also continue making wine and Oregon was one of them and we got very lucky, you know, very fortunate that she, you know, was accepted to, to one of the schools that was at the top of her list. Um, and I had a harvest gig with Penner Ash. Um, so I worked with Lynn um, in 2015. We moved out here in 2015. And um, yeah, this has been home since then. So did a harvest, begged to stay on as long as I could, begged for employment and, uh, you know, well into November, they're like, Max, you, you've cleaned everything three times. We can't keep paying you just to keep cleaning what you've already cleaned. And so um, I left it there, but kind of around the same time, which was cool is as a harvest crew, we toured Ponzi. And um, it was led by uh, JP, who was the assistant winemaker at the time and Louisa. And it was a, a you know awesome tour and informative. And we ended up in the tasting room, and you know she was kind of going around Louisa, um, making you know short talk with with people, and came around to me, and you know we started talking. She's like, oh, well, where are you from? And I said, Traver you know, Michigan, Traverse City, Michigan. She's like, oh, I know a winemaker there. And without really thinking, I was like, oh, is it Lee Lutz? And she's like, yeah, it is. That's weird. And it just so happened that they they had met many years ago. He was working for um, Lisbetta, so daughter of the Vieri family, and Luisa and the Ponzi's have a relationship with them. And they met um, and formed a, a friendship at that time. And, you know, not a stay in touch every year kind of thing, but uh, throughout the, the wine world, which is, seems big, but is very small. Um, yeah, it maintained, maintained a, a, a relationship and a sense of communication. And so, I, uh, I'm sure she reached out to him and I reached out to him and kind of, you know, I asked if she was hired and she said yes. And so I applied and went through a couple interviews and I started here in 2016, January of 2016. And this is where I've been. Um, at that time, Louisa was, was working to kind of expand the tasting team. Um, you know, for a long time, it was, it was her and Josh and whoever her assistant winemaker was at the time. And kind of opening that up a little bit more to experienced individuals who not only just did harvest hopping, but had year-round exposure to the winemaking um, 
you know, scene and, and program in general. Uh, and so I was hired on as a seller associate, but also part of the, the tasting group. And so, yeah, kind of my progression here, I, you know, seller, seller associate, and that grew into taking on the role as uh, our packaging coordinator. So try, trying to grow in, in, in any way I could that was really production focused. And so um, learning the, the operation from the dry goods standpoint of, of sourcing material, right? Glass, bottles, corks, what, you name it. Um, they're all needed uh, for us to do what we do. But then also, you know, building relationships within the community and, and um, uh, vendors that, you know, the Ponzi's had worked with for years or had it worked with for years and rebuilding relationships and kind of bringing Ponzi back to top of mind in terms of, you know, uh, our presence in, in the world of, of packaging and um, staying on top with new innovations, um, sustainable, sustainability efforts of, you know, eco-friendly or lightweight glass or um, recycled material in, within corrugation, you know, that's, that's a huge thing for us um, and a lot of people in the Valley, but a huge thing for the Ponzi family in general. I mean, they've, that's been top of mind since day one, simply because that's just what you do. It's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think that's important, um, you know, to, to do what we do is, is everything we do out here right you know from the farming to our footprint here at the at the winery and capturing rainwater and you know it doesn't stop there it should go into your packaging and sourcing recycled material and and lighter weight options but anyways so um i was doing that it grew to seller master uh after a couple years and then assistant winemaker and now uh associate and that's that's uh where i stand today um, I work very intimately with Louisa uh, on a lot of bigger, bigger scope projects, um, but I also work very intimately with, with Julia, our uh, assistant winemaker and enologist. So I'm kind of the in-between where I will, I will work on day-to-day -day and week-to-week stuff with Julia, um, and then work on kind of the month-to-month, year-to-year with Louisa, and it's this great this great meet, uh, kind of middle in between. Um, we're a trio, it's super healthy. The communication's great. And honestly, I don't, I don't think Ponzi's ever been at a better place than, than now in terms of, you know, the post acquisition and, and our, our projection forward and the winemaking is, is immaculate. And, you know, the wines that we're producing are beautiful. And I think it's, it's a result of you know this team that we've put together and and our our crew um you know we have a, a seller lead Ilario, who has been with the company for a very long time um, since 2012 i think who just knows the ins and outs of this place and i've learned a great deal from him and and others who have who have uh, been here for for some time as well so you mentioned early on in the process as you were coming into coming sort of discovering wine and, and and sort of poking around the industry that you knew production was where you wanted to be and you kind of mentioned like the physicality of it so tell me about initial your initial work in production as, a, as an intern as a as a volunteer yeah uh, what was it like it, was it what you expected and, and what made you want to keep doing it? I love the intensity. <laughs> I think I think production people are kind of kind of junkies in that way. 
And then it's like, you know, building that out, right? So what kind of junkie are you? You know, is it just the brute force? Is it the labor? Is it, you know, working towards a goal, creating something, um, efficiencies, inefficiencies, correcting those inefficiencies? You know, I think every winemaker will say there's a bit of control and they're very type A. Um, you know, I th for me, I think it's, it's a little bit of everything. I love, I love working hard. I love the physicality. But as I've, as I've spent more time with wine and, and just kind of stepping back and, and looking, you know, into it, what I realize is, is in, in, in a growing age of, of technology and, and information and, and, you know, just how we're progressing as humans in general, there are very still few things that we've been doing since like our inception. Um, wine is one of those things, right? People, humans have been making wine for over 8,000 years. And to be a part of something like that, I mean, and you can, and it's not just wine, right? It's, it's beer, it's, it's baking, it's, you know, there, there are these things that are just still so human that to me is, is captivating. And to, to be a part of that, to feel a part of that is, is pretty important. Um, it's also interesting because it's a job or career, however you want to see it, that revolves around one very pivotal moment, and that's harvest. And you get one shot, right? You get one shot to do it. It's not like beer making. It's not like spirits, where if, if you have an issue, you can get on the phone and order more of this, more of that, start over. Um, there's, I think there's a little arrogance in there, but I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a negative thing. It's, it's that it helps fuel that drive to this is the moment, this is our time, this is really the opportunity to do the best we absolutely can with what we have and, and push the limits. Um, to create something is, is cool. And it's, it's very, um, I don't know, for me it's, it's rewarding and, and valuable. And yes, at the end of harvest, you kind of die a little bit, you know, but during harvest, it's almost like you just, you, you recognize it, you suppress it, you keep going. And I think every, just love, that love for it is what allows us to do what we do because there, there are certain people that can't do it. And I've, I've witnessed this, you know, where I've been an intern at a place and somebody from either the restaurant side of things or hospitality come in and they're done in a day or two. They have, they had no idea. Um, I had a bit of the expectation, never the extent, and Oregon was a it was an eye opener for me. The physicality of Oregon harvest far exceeded any harvest I had ever done, ever worked. And you know, it's it's a lot of small lot fermentations, a lot of movements, a lot of cap management, um, and it just it was impressive. You know, you get you lose a lot of weight, you get really strong and, you know, and then you die afterwards. But, and, and I do impress that upon, you know, when I'm interviewing for, for interns, you know, is, you know, it's tough um, and it's fast. And, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, no, it's like, no, you, you don't yet till you, till you come and you do it. And most times people are like, oh, I get what you meant then, you know, but again, it's rewarding. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think anything was really a surprise um, because I've labored my entire life, which kind of set me up for that. Um, thankful for my parents instilling the work ethic into me and my brother that they did. Um, but sometimes it's grueling. Sometimes you hate it. Sometimes you have to 
take a beat and count to five and you know I mean this it's like any job it throws throws you in different directions um, but I fell in love with it immediately and I knew I wanted more and I knew I wanted just to to push it as far as I could go but you know you reach a point where if you really want to grow in your career you you got to land somewhere and you have to spend time there um, I know many winemakers that, that move around you know every three or four years but which is fine and they do their thing but to really understand a place to really get in tune with you know the vineyards and and their various ages and the style of winemaking and, and vintage to vintage variability um you know you you need you need to plant your feet and you need to to stick around for a bit and i loved that about ponzi you know it's it's one of the pioneering um <clears throat> families and and wineries and there's a ton of history. I love that it was still owned and operated by the family and they were present. Um, and even with the acquisition, and, and you know, Bollinger is, is big, but it's still family owned and operated and they respect, um, they respected, they respect and respected what the Ponzi's did and they respect what they're trying to do now. And, and for the most part, they're, it's, it's hands off, you know, they wouldn't have bought us if if all the right things were in place and they were and and i love that you know um they visit once or twice a year and it's great and we have wonderful meetings and and seminars and education you know courses and and uh you know the the, the works but for the most part they're they're hands off they they know that we've got it and and we're doing a great job and um that's super reassuring you know it allows us to continue our craft and our art and, and you know, the style of winemaking that, that Dick started and, and Louisa built upon and, and, you know, myself, Julia, are, are continuing, you know, with our added, you know, thoughts and, and impressions, of course. But, um, yeah, I think Ponzi's future is pretty pretty bright, I would say. I'm curious about sort of a, sort of a compare contrast. You mentioned Traverse City to Paso to New Zealand and then eventually to Oregon. Uh, Give me, before we talk about Oregon, tell me about the other spots you worked. Uh, how did they compare? How did they build on each other? And what were sort of the main takeaways you had from your various stops along the way? Sure. Yeah, so uh, starting at the beginning, um, you know, Michigan, Mi Michigan and, and Oregon's history are very interesting because they mirror each other. Um, vines went into the ground, you know, mid to late 60s. We had, you know, the pioneers here as we did there. Chateau Grand Travers being one of them at O'Keefe, and then he was Old Mission, and then Bernie Rink was uh, Boscadel on on um, Lino Peninsula. Um, a lot of support from Michigan State for us, uh, Oregon State here, and you know, putting in experimental vines, you know, uh, working with vinifera, working with hybrids, figuring out you know where the ideal and optimal places to to plant and grow. They figured out that from shoreline to 25 miles is vinifera. Anything outside of that, you can't. It's too cold. Doesn't work. Um, you know. So, what I will say about my interpretation of, of Michigan is is they kind of planted, but what what Traverse City did is they planted what people knew, without really realizing what worked. Versus, and this is my opinion, um, but you know, versus Oregon that said we are going to be Pinot Noir. It doesn't matter what happens, we are gonna do this. We, we are going to be Pinot Noir. 
and it worked for them. And I think what, what Michigan, at least Northern Michigan is, is figuring out is kind of that, that movement away, for, movement away from things that aren't working or only work every other year or out of every five, two years, you have this optimal growing season You're because they can do that. I mean, they've produced and are producing beautiful Cab Francs and Merlot and Pinot Noir. And, you know, people would be like, what? Like Michigan, you grow wine? And, and, and they're outstanding. We, I had a, a tasting last night um, of all Michigan wines and we had a 2020 Cab Franc and, and then a beautiful red blend from Black Star. Uh, I'm not plugging them. I'm just, I promise. <laughs> but it was Terraldigo, Lagrain, Cab Franc, and Merlot, which is just a kind of an interesting blend to begin with. But it, it gives you an idea of what they're doing. They're pushing it forward now. They're realizing this didn't work. We need to be focusing on stuff that we can consistently produce. So what does that mean? Cold, hardier red varietals like Gamay, like Terraldigo, uh, Lemberger, um, you know, some Dornfelder, you know, so the Blau Frankish is beautiful there. And then, you know, the, the aromatic whites, Riesling is the, is, is the winner. And if I, if I could go back in time and be them, I would have just taken Riesling, like Oregon took Pinot and said, we are gonna be Riesling. And, you know, upstate New York kind of did that. Um, but I think just our, our layout's a little bit more conducive and, and I think our, our profile is a little bit more kind of that Germanic. Um, so for me at that time, it was just like world of wine, throw it at you, you know, start learning. You know, California, uh, they weren't, you know, growing things that we were obviously growing in, um, in Michigan. So that was kind of a, another, this is new, what are we doing? Syrah, Grenache, Mouved, Tanat, like, you know, God, I've never even ha heard of some of these wines. Um, and so that was just fun. And it's a whole different style of winemaking, you know, they're, they're, they're varietals that, you know, can be, I don't want to use the word beat up a little bit, but you can, you can move them around a little bit more than you say would with Pinot. Um, New Zealand, I think it was, it was just getting to New Zealand and, and making wine in a different country. And I did work with Pinot there. And I did work with Chardonnay, but as you can imagine, it was, you know, Sauvignon Blanc. And uh, I love drinking Sauvignon Blanc, especially from New Zealand. I think the, you know, aromatically, it is just stunning. And um, obviously coupled with the landscape of, you know, the marble sound and, and the surrounding areas. I tried to get into central Otago and, you know, true to Kiwis, you just never hear back. And I, I probably sent out, God, 20, probably 20 or 30 emails. and. Um, I, my my in with I was with Babbage, which you know is, I think still to this day the the largest uh, owned and uh, family operated winery and oldest in in New Zealand. Uh, I was there for their 100th crush, which was pretty cool, and so we designed T-shirts and you know did all that stuff. Um, but it was fun. I was one of 18, and it was people from all over the world. Um, some of which I'm still very good friends with, some of which I've brought here as interns and continued the, you know, the fun, um, you know, through Harvest. But um, I knew I wanted to go to Oregon and I knew I wanted to revisit Pinot. I have an, uh, I have a love for Syrah, I do. I love, I love it. But um, again, that challenge, Pinot is, Pinot is a challenging grape. And I was told that early on that, you know, if you can make 
good Pinot, then you, you'll do fine with other varietals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But to really master Pinot Noir. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't want to lie and say, you know, oh, well, I sussed out, you know, Ponzi for that. But I had had Ponzi before and, and I did like the, their uh, Luis's Pinots. And um, I think that kind of fit into my, me landing here. It was already in my mind and, you know, <laughs> um, and I just kind of tried to build on that. Uh, I would love, I would love to see some Syrah move into the valley and have the opportunity, um, you know, if not here, you know, side project or whatever, work with it. But for now it's, it's Pinot Chardonnay and uh, taking it to the next level. So tell me about your first impressions of Oregon and of the industry here. Oh, amazing. Um, love nature. And there is an abundance of that here. <laughs> that was like, we, we, we were sold, you know, for Michigan is, Traverse City specifically is stunning. It is stunning. Um, but the magnitude of nature here, it's like, you know, growing up, we have, we have, we have glacial moraines. So they're, they call them mountains. They're not mountains. They're very large hills. So I always try to describe it like, you know, if, if you grow up skiing those, but then you're 16, you head to Colorado and you hit Vail or Steamboat, how do you ever go back to skiing a hill? That's kind of like the wilderness here. Love, I'm avid fly fisherman and hiker and camper. And yes, you can do that in, in Michigan, but to this magnitude, you can't. So stuck. <laughs> the winemaking side of things, you know, uh, still, still learning about it. Um, the community is huge and it's, and it's great. And uh, I, of course, have my pockets, you know. It's, it's fun to see the youth coming in. Um, and I'm sure this is probably gonna tie into something down the road, but you know, it's interesting because what, what I am seeing is, is a shift from generational winemakers to a group of winemakers that aren't related to the families. And I think that poses a lot of very interesting questions because when you, when you look at the industry, you review the industry, what, you add collaboration with families, with, with other winemakers because it was necessary to grow, to be successful, to push the envelope. It was absolutely necessary to have think tanks, to get together all the time to discuss growing, winemaking, clones, I mean, whatever, everything. What, what the industry is today it, it is because of that first generation, which passed it on to the second generation. And now what I'm seeing is that there, there is a stop that some third generation aren't interested or have other things, which is absolutely fine. I mean, it is a commitment. It is a, I, what I view to be a life commitment. And, you know, to each their own. Everybody has their own path. So I think that's going to be interesting for the industry. There is a ton of talent here. Um, and uh, at least within my circle, individuals who are starting to, to take the reins or make some more decisions have been with their respective wineries for a good deal of time. It's not just we're bringing in from California or France or wherever and we're replacing these people. I think it's, it's this conscious movement to pick and choose the right individuals to continue carrying that torch, but also continue pushing the industry forward. And, and um, 
you know, because once you stop, then then what? Then it's then it's not exciting anymore. Then you, I've heard people say, once it's consistent, I'm gone. And I hear that. I mean, who wants to, you know, you know, I know I'm going to pick, you know, in these three days at 26 bricks or whatever it is, you know, that's not fun. That's, that's not why we do it. You know, you need a little bit of pressure. You need a little bit of stress. You need, you know, that, that, that bleeds into the vintage and the wines and, you know, it's, everything is kind of, it's just it's all connected, which is cool. So, um, I think as a community, um, need to continue getting together, need to continue these awesome events like the Chardonnay technical tasting, the Pinot Noir technical tasting, bringing back the aspects of Steamboat, um, getting these individuals involved because you can't stop the conversations. You know, what the first and second gen have done very well is progress this industry to a point where people feel like they don't need to collaborate anymore, but you can't do that. You have to, you have to keep going because it will continue to change as we continue to get warmer. That is gonna have a direct effect on everything, you know, from, from growing, um, from uh, new varietals moving in to, you know, wines getting, you know, more alcoholic, God forbid, you know? It's like, we're trying to go the opposite way. Um, but there is a great community here and people work together. And we saw that in 2020, I think, not that anybody wants to keep talking about 2020, um, not just necessarily with COVID, but with the fires, right? I mean, the, co the collaborative efforts within the wine industry and then extending out like with the universities, literally turning their labs over for the wineries to submit samples and, and work with us because they knew, they understood the time frame. They understood that this is unlike anything we have ever dealt with. Um, and that extended out even further to national and internationally, you know, speaking with people in California, getting on the phone or Zoom with, with Australia. like. It just absolutely was amazing how quickly people came together, put everything to the side, despite you know being in harvest, making the time. Um, that just speaks to you know humans being good humans, people understanding, people you know um, working together and 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 doing what they can to 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 get people through. You know, and karma is great, and hopefully it'll be you know. Uh, our turn at some point to, to return the favor and um, but I think that year despite all the crap that we went through really really defined this community um, and how powerful it is and strong and um, yeah I think it was a good good thing for people. Uh, I'm curious about uh, sort of you mentioned uh, obviously you coming to a place that has a house style, a, a long defined style. Ponzi, Ponzi has been being made by two people since the beginning. Mm. Um, tell me about developing your own style over time yeah. and bringing what you're able to bring into the kind of the defined style here. Yeah. So, um, you know, Dick, Dick was a remarkable winemaker and, um, I think, you know, Lu Luisa's what, what Pinot Noir was for Dick, Chardonnay is for Louisa. And I came in here with really no interest in Chardonnay. And I have, I have learned to appreciate it in, in such a higher level and understanding uh, working with Louisa, working with the wine, and, and, and just truly getting to know it. 
And so that's one aspect is, is developing an appreciation for that varietal because like Pinot Noir, it's delicate. And, and there are a lot of ways you can take it. Um, and Luisa certainly has her own style. And um, Ponzi is one of, one of the very few that kept going with Chardonnay. When most people either pulled it out, planted Pinot or grafted over or whatever, Ponzi was like, challenge accepted, we're gonna do this. And um, you know, Luisa is, is hands down one of the best Chardonnay makers in this, in this valley. Um, stylistically, you know, working with my, my uh, first mentor, Lee, um, you know, the, I don't, I don't want to say natural. It's natural, not natty. I think that's the best way to say it. And Julie and I work that. It's probably going to become a Harvest t-shirt at some point. Um, but it's, it's more of stepping back and just uh, observing. Smelling, tasting, relying on your instinct, gut. Um, that is what I started developing early on and over the years have, have been kind of swaying back and forth, but it was the last couple years that it really set in because uh, Luis and I started working more intimately together, especially with the, with the winemaking and, and decisions. And um, that's when I kind of realized, yeah, you've been doing this all along. And, you know, and what I mean by that is, you know, what we're doing is a very natural thing, right? It's a very natural process that even without humans, it will happen. And so uh, as winemakers, my, my personal philosophy is that the wine is being made in the vineyard and as a winemaker, as it comes in, you should be stewarding that, guiding it, right? That being said, as a winemaker, when things go awry, you should really have a set of tools to, to intervene when you need it. Um, we have a very minimalistic or non-interventionist approach here. You know, we are, we're not inoculating. We are relying on native yeasts that are either living in here or coming in off the fruit or out of the vineyard. We are using temperature as a guide. We manage, you know, cap twice a day, once in the morning. We have awesome equipment that we use and we want, we run really cool analysis and, and we work with wine software. Um, we don't rely on it. It's a guide. It's great for data collection and to, you know, if you want to go into those nerdy details and those aspects, we have all the means to do that. Um, but, you know, stylistically, the, the, the winemaking is just natural. Um, and it's, it really is a, a, it's, it's lucky. I'm lucky to have worked with somebody like Luisa who has grown up with these vineyards that knows this, this fruit, the, the site so well that a lot of things just, you know, come where, you know, I, I will catch myself being a little bit reactive, you know, winemakers are emotionally reactive to things <laughs> where I'll be like, you know, we need to, we should probably think about this. She's like, just wait, just wait. It's okay. You know, or the rains are setting in. Uh, little rain is not that bad. Now, if it's going to rain and continue to rain, then yeah, you start rethinking things and recalibrate. But, you know, um, it's been interesting observing that and it's calmed me down a little bit, you know, and I'm glad I'm doing this early on because as you progress, you know, you don't want those kind of aspects later on. It's, you, you learn early and, and, and I think it's important to, to really apply it, you know, learn it, L truly learn it. So I think there are a lot of, 
there are a lot of similarities in our styles of winemaking. I've learned a great deal from her. I learned a great deal from JP, who was here prior prior to me, you know. Um, you kind of just pick things up along the way and, and, and I don't know if you ever like completely, oh, this is it, I'm done, you know, this is my style. Um, I think that leads to, to a, bore, a bit of boring, you know, it's like the consistency thing, you know, it's, you, you don't always want the same, that's, that's no fun. Um, but being open to things, you know, willing to try, uh, being creative. I can certainly get into my mode um, of just this is, this is what works, this is easy. Um, so that's what I love about Louisa and, and Julia is there's, you know, there's a lot of challenging each other to think, to, to try new things. Them more so challenging me because I, you know, what I do here is a lot of operational stuff. Um, so it's really tapping back into that creativity, maintaining that creativity is, is super important. That being said, at the end of the day, you know, there, there are expectations of, of style, you know, that we are, we are working to um, achieve and maintain. Um, you know, our, our, our cuvées are built around that, you know, from Tavola being, you know, your everyday, very approachable, wonderful with food, bright, kind of, you know, beautiful wine, to the Laurelwood, which is a little bit more serious, but, well, I call it seriously playful. Um, but, you know, your red fruits and, and kind of, you know, spice, and then your, your reserves and single uh, vineyard cuvées, which are certainly much warmer and deeper and richer and you know that fruit really coming from our, our older sites um, the exposure to what I how I like to describe it to people is you know Ponzi in itself is a window into the history of this valley from the viticulture side of things to the winemaking uh, the result of that viticulture to the hospitality experience I mean when, when they started, along with just the very few others, there were no tasting rooms, you know? I mean, there, there were vineyards that some didn't know existed. Like, you know, it was just, it, there was nothing here. There was, this did not exist. And, and, you know, Maria Ponzi really paving the way for this kind of thing, you know, offering a top-notch hospitality experience of, of fine wines and food pairings and us, you know, investing in our people to educate, be it WSET, be it continued education uh, at Chemeketa or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, the building out of Salud and providing health care. I mean, that's all, that's all Ponzi. That's, and that's, to be a part of that is really amazing. Um, and I, and I, I'm, I don't know, it's, it's, I feel good to, to, to be a part of that. Um, you know, it brings me a lot of pride that I can say I've, I've been here. So, you know, it's, it's, and oh, there's a lot, it's, it's a lot of history and to be a part of that and, and, um, you know, continue to, to help continue the legacy for them is, is great. It's fun. Tell me about your, the progression of your role here. You mentioned the kind of the various titles you've had. Tell me about, um, additional responsibilities, additional kind of projects you've taken on in the time you've been here, and give us an idea of sort of the main focus now on kind of how your how your typical day, typical week goes. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, I'm I'm kind of in between um, Juliet and and Louisa um, as a seller associate. You know, seller at as we as we call it. You know, you're down there. You're 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 doing everything. You're you're moving wine, blending wine 
cleaning tanks, cleaning drains, topping barrels, you know, and, and it's, it's great. You got to do it. Um, it is a ladder. This is an industry that is a ladder and you have to climb it. And most of the time it takes longer than you want. But once you get to that rung um, or rungs, it is worth it because you've progressed and you've learned. The amount that you learn and, and what, you know, some at some point in their career is like, God, why am I still doing this? What, you know, and then it comes and you're like, oh, here I am, you know, and then you, you keep going. It's just, it's, it's comical and it's frustrating, but you know, if you love it, you're, you stick with it and it works. So, um, you know, from there you're kind of doing the work. And then as you progress uh, seller master, it's more of, of managing the work being done, still doing it, but managing and then creating the work as you grow older and higher and then overseeing it, you know, kind of bigger, bigger picture. So for me, what my, what my life looks like, um, is, you know, working with Julia a lot on making sure that the day-to-day -day stuff is happening. We are sitting down, you know, we meet communication is everything, right? So we have time scheduled with, uh, Louisa, we have morning meetings. We make, you know, at the beginning of the week to make sure that last week is discussed and going forward is discussed. And then it, you know, kind of falls into Julie and I's court and we start ideating and making plans just to keep things going, moving, um, you know, with her, uh, solely in control of the lab. Um, you know, she's coordinating the, the lab work. We have another seller associate slash lab associate that helps with running the analysis, providing that for us to look at, to, uh, kind of, make sure that we're you know on the right track and the wines are being taken care of the way that they should um you know so that's kind of the wine side of things uh when it comes to Luis and i uh, a lot of a lot of spreadsheets a lot of uh watching budgets ma ma making you know setting budgets working with the board so we have it we have a ceo now we have a cfo um so working with them on the bigger picture stuff right so uh, CapEx projects. We've got a lot of those in, in the, in the works. Um, Ponzi purchased about a hundred acres last year of land that we're going to start planting, um, starting in fall of 24. And so that for me is, is super important because the building out a vineyard I've never done. And that is very interesting to me. And so I am working, uh, as much as I can, as much as time allows with Louisa, um, on that project. So we bought just, uh, about 20, 22 acres just across the street here coming down mountain home road. And then we bought about 80 acres over, um, and, uh, Cornelius, I guess technically is where it's at still Laurelwood, but it's, it's the boundary line of the Laurelwood and the Shehalem mountains, beautiful site, high elevation. Um, it's stunning. So that, that I'm very excited about because, you know, I've worked in vineyards. Um, you know, I've, I've torn out, you know, compromised vines and planted new ones. I've, you know, worked on irrigation, trellising, I've pruned, I've picked, you know, I've done it, but I've never really like planned it, you know, and I'm a planner, <laughs> love planning. Um, and so that's, that's, I'm looking forward to that, uh, and, and seeing what that looks like. And, you know, cause it, it bleeds into here, right? I mean, if you're planning a vineyard, it, you got to start planning tank space. <laughs> how, how are you going to build those blocks? You know, and, and it's just this new world of, of thinking and ways of thinking that just was so just, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And now eyes are open and now it, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So, 
Um, yeah, it's busy. Always, always on to on some project. If it's if it's a day to day, week to week, or a month to month, or year to year, it's it's something going on. But you know that's what makes it exciting and, and fun, and you know keeps you keeps you in it. You know. You talked earlier about about the place and about the need to kind of set down your own roots and and could get to know a place. Uh, tell me about this place and the, the the process of getting to know it so far. How do you, how do you feel about your knowledge of it, and, and what is sort of the next steps in that? Yeah, um, always learning. <laughs> that's that's very you know, probably be an element of this conversation. Always learning, but for me, so the the Ponzi uh, family were planting about every decade, and so again, going into that kind of window or history, you you see the progression of viticulture within the Willamette Valley, but notably the the Laurelwood uh, district, right? And so that. That AVA came online in 2020. It is something that Luisa, Maria, and a handful of others worked very hard and tirelessly to get recognized um, and part of part of the, the Willamette Valley. Um, and all the all the Ponzi vineyards are, uh, with the exception of the historic estate, are in the Laurelwood soil profile. And so. I, you know, I've been here long enough to have tasted all the other uh, nested AVAs. Um, I'm most familiar with the Laurelwood. In my time here, um, Isimo is our newest planting that was started in 2018, and it's just set up here above uh, above the winery. But for me, um, where I started really paying attention was this this site, Avalana and uh, compared to Aurora, which is literally just on that hillside. You can, you can see it, and that's Dick and Nancy's home site. Um, vine, and everybody has their own interpretation, but vines for me, it's, it's kind of like, when they're growing, it's like children, right? Kids, We've, we were all a kid, and you all had this weird stage where you're either a little gangly or overweight or whatever, right? And then all of a sudden, you hit this point where you come into yourself, and that's like you've, you've grown up, right? And I, and, and how I perceive it, I was here for a little bit of that weirdness, gangliness for Avalana, and, I'm, and, and now it's really coming in to itself. And what I mean by that is it's progressed far enough where it's starting to tap into that, you know, that basalt layer when Aurora was already there. And I've watched kind of Avalana progress up to that, to that level of quality, that style, that profile of, you know, what Aurora is now, what you know, Madrona and Abatina, which are some of the earliest sites planted in the early 80s. Um, so it's this progression. And then Isimo, and you're comparing Isimo, which is young, the youngest Pinot in Laurelwood. And so we've got this lineup that's pretty cool that most wineries don't have. Um, and then we source fruit, you know, from from all over the valley. We have uh, growers that uh, those relationships extend during the Dick days, you know? Um, and most are long-term relationships. We will pick up a, a new vineyard every every year or so and, and try it out and see, and that's, you know, supporting the community. And, and there's new vineyards popping up all the time. So, you know, um, it's always good to keep it fun and fresh, you know, so we'll, we'll pick up uh, one or two here and there. Um, but, you know, you never want a house palette, obviously, um, but stylistically, in terms of you know the viticulture, it's cool because it allows you a lot of a lot of flexibility in your blending. And you know, um, you would assume that every year that Madrona, Abatina, um, 
Linda Vista uh, would just default to reserve, but sometimes they don't because whatever the vintage is, they're a bit brighter. This is more Laurelwood-esque, you know, for, for that wine. Everything is intentional. You know, it's not that kind of cascading, well, if this isn't reserved, then it's this, and if this isn't this, then it's this. No, now all these wines are crafted with purpose and intention. Um, and again, uh, uh, another thing that some, some wineries don't have that flexibility. Uh, and then obviously, again, having Luis's, you know, life involvement in these wines and literally, you know, planting some of these vineyards herself and working with Miguel, our vineyard manager, who's coming on up to 30 years now with the family, worked with Dick and, you know, and, and Louisa and just prob probably the expert of Laurelwood soils. Um, you know, we have, we have a full-time vineyard crew of, they think around 15 people, most of which have been with the company for a long time. Uh, with the family for a long time. Um, all of our either Ponzi owned or Ponzi family owned is, is managed by the same crew. Uh, we're not venturing out into other parts of the valley. You know, it's, it's all home. It's all here, right here. What you see right here. It's all, it's all kept connected and uh, collected here. So you talked earlier about sustainability, especially in some of the roles you've had. So tell me about sort of the role of sustainability in, in your mind uh, and the role you have and uh, how you bring something like that to an operation of this size. Yeah, so um, my, my, my part in sustainability here has always been mainly in the, um, the packaging world of things, which I've, I've touched on and it's rather boring, but you know, it, it is what it is. So, you know, quickly recapping, looking at alternative, you know, weights to glasses. Um, um, you know, types of, of closures that have some sort of re recycled material built in. Um, corrugation needs, so, you know, are you going with craft versus, you know, um, content, you know, where, where recycled to virgin material is, you know, whatever it is, um, which is huge. I mean, it all, it all plays a part, right? Um, but, uh, you know, the Ponzi family has, has, some would say, you know, has been farming organically since day one, you know, hand hoeing, not using pesticides, like not because it was cool to do that. It's just, that's what you do. That's the right thing to do. And, um, I think everybody's, and obviously this is my opinion and my alone, but I, you know, it's good that people are doing it, but there are people that are doing it simply to market it, which plays both sides. I mean, I get it, but you know, the, the family and a lot of others, do it because it's the right thing to do. So Ponzi's vineyards have been, you know, live certified for a long time, since the 90s. The, the winery was live certified for a while, fell off, um, and then we recertified a couple years ago. Julia has really taken that on um, and has done a great job. Uh, Group Bollinger, it is huge. CSR is huge. Sustainability is huge. So, you know, what our what our future looks like um, well let me back up so in terms of production we're not using anything that can't go down the drain we're not doing anything that needs to be you know treated and then go down you know we, we're you know we, we will monitor our pH levels of our water in case you know a a brute of something wasn't 
you know, mixed up properly and we have an elevated pH or whatever. And, and at that point we would adjust and, and make sure, but there's nothing that we do here that can't go back into the ground on top of the soil, nothing, low intervention. And our, you know, we're, we were spraying, uh, we're spraying up at Aurora, you know, even then it's sulfur, that's it. No herbicides, no pesticides, something like that. Um, you know, we capture rain, goes into a reservoir, which is on the other side of the winery. Um, you know, but going forward, we have a solar array. We are going to build that out to become, you know, neutral in terms of energy consumption. We are looking into water, you know, gray water treatment, recycling. So anything, you know, doesn't matter is, is being treated on property, going back into the system. Um, farming, you know, uh, there are always new certifications coming up and I, and I do not have uh, a ton of um, responsibility in the viticultural side of things. That is certainly more Louisa. She is our um, director of winemaking and, and viticulture. So, but you know, we are, we are live certified, but we're now going to become certified organic here at Avalana. It's gonna be very easy because we already are. We just don't have the, cert the certification, so it's paperwork. But it's this other cert that's like reg organic regenerative, and I, I can't remember the term. I don't deal with this stuff. Um, but it's the idea of really focusing on, you know, the, the soil and, and making sure that the, the soil is good and it's starting from there up into the vine, not just looking at the vine top down. It's, you know, soil up, vine. Um, which makes sense. I mean, it's all kind of intuitive, you know, and, uh, but I think that this, that cert allows for, you know, vintage, uh, variation, you know, you have a bad year and you have to save your crop. You have to have some sort of flexibility, right. To, 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 um, you know, protect yourself. So the environment has always come first in, in, you know, Ponzi's, uh, mind and, um, yeah, it's great to be a part of that and, and a community that is so focused on making sure that we do not destroy this. You know, you can't. It's too beautiful. So uh, You've talk, touched on it already, but I'm curious about the, the transition with the, with the purchase by Bollinger a couple of years back. Yeah. Uh, tell me about sort of the, uh, the, 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 the transition time and the, how you, on the other, now that you're on the other side of it, how it looks uh, being part of that company. Sure. Yeah, um, it was it was a surprise to the staff. Um, I'm sure it was a surprise to the valley. Um, I know uh, Bollinger was was looking for a while, and um, you know I, I can't speak to the inner workings of that because I was not involved. But from my side of things, to be a, to be a part of uh, an acquisition in general is is an interesting thing. You know, it's um, it's a turbulent. I, I, I look at it as an ocean with a lot of tides and currents. And when you think you're out of one, you're, you're back into another. Um, but it's a learning opportunity. It's a very unique learning opportunity. And if, if, uh, if you're around to experience it, you know, because some people don't want anything to do with it. Some people will leave. Some people are let go. Some people are promoted. Some people are demoted, like whatever. You know, it's a whole different take on a, on a company. Um, luckily, you know, I, I retained, you know, my, my position and, and, um, uh, have been, you know, a part of a lot of things that were happening, uh, in the immediate and then also going forward. It's been an, a great learning opportunity to, to see a company operate on a higher level. Um, obviously, you know, 
for 51 years, it was family owned and operated. And what I observed was two sisters working together to continue, you know, the legacy and, and leave their own individual, you know, thumbprint on, 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 you know, per, on their, their lives here and in the community. Um, and for Bollinger to come in, it just, it just elevated that, right? So there's more resources. There's, you know, uh, it's a bigger group. You're, you've got more people to talk to and, and more people kind of interacting. But what is, what I will say is nice is, you know, Ponzi's kind of this island because we're their only U.S. acquisition. And so um, that allows us to kind of continue what we're doing because it clearly what we were doing was enough, you know, to get their attention and, and to ultimately purchase us. Um, there are always thoughts and opinions and, and of course things will be implemented and of course things will change. But again, you know, change is good, you know, and um, for me, great learning opportunity, great opportunity to, to meet new people and have the ability to explore uh, different ideas and different ways of seeing things and, and doing things and um, yeah, just being being a part of the continuation of the legacy because they they understand how important that is they understand and respect how the ponzi's have been farming for years i mean there were so many shared morals and values and you know um, likenesses between the families that it it seemed like the right thing to do was to 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 mesh and and uh become one so yeah i'm, I'm curious to see uh how far they're going to take it, you know, because there's some cool things in, in the works that uh, I think will will bring a whole new um, edge to to what we're doing here. So well, with that said, uh, let's talk about the future a little bit. We'll start, we'll start with the, the future of Ponzi. What uh, what kind of on the horizon here that you're excited about? And um, are there sort of new projects or new things coming along that you will be part of? Um, yeah, every every year is a little bit different. I think you know, as Luisa's future is um, kind of untold right now. I don't I don't know what is really the plan there. Um, you know, work working with her a lot though is is nice. Spending more time because as my my position continues to elevate, that reliance on on her to make sure things are happening you know, the right way and how, and how she wants them is, is super important, right? Um, you know, we're, we're continuing to build out our, our experience here at Ponzi. Um, bringing Ponzi back to top of mind, it's, it's hard to, to stay relevant when, one, there's over, what, 800 brick and mortar wineries in, in the valley and X amount more that are just labels. I mean, there's there's so many people here doing, which is awesome because they, you know, were some of the people that started it. But you know, B Bollinger's goal is, is is to, you know, really elevate this experience. Ponzi's goal, I should say, um, really focus on the wines that we're making. You know, refine the portfolio, uh, make make this place where people just there's no question. This is where you go. Um, and I think we can do that, absolutely. You know, our, our location to, to Portland makes it super convenient and it's kind of a gateway into the valley and, you know, coupled with the history and then the flash of the new ownership, it's, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of cool things. I already mentioned the vineyards that I'm very excited about that just because it's not, um, 
I've been doing this. I've been involved with wine in some capacity for 16 years now, 15 years, 15 or 16 years. Um, and you know, this kind of vineyard part is, is, is starting to tie in my package, right? It's one thing that there's a hole there and now I'm trying to fill that. I'm trying to learn that. And so working with Louisa, working with the, um, you know, vineyard, vineyard management company that she's chosen to help us build out, uh, the Winters Road location will be interesting, you know, cause it's just an area that I have not, that I'm unfamiliar with. Um, so I'm very excited about that. You know, stepping up in, in harvest and, and, and uh, working more with the fruit rather than running the day to day of harvest, you know, uh, is exciting. To start making more decisions is exciting. Um, I will never, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be at a desk, man. You know, I, I have a hard time not being on the floor. It's, it's um, my management style is work with, not over. Uh, I think that that creates a lot of respect, uh, especially in the cellar when it's high energy and, you know, people are run thin and, and emotions are whatever they are because they change daily or hourly or whatever. Um, but we've got a great team here and we bring in a lot of talent from all over the world, uh, which is fun. So I think the, the future is bright here and, and um, what my role is in that future is kind of still TBD, but um, I'm happy to live in the present and, and be a part of what's happening now and you know, continuing forward, looking forward to harvest. So. Well, let's talk about the future of Oregon wine industry then a little bit. Uh, you've talked kind of about the changes you've seen and about sort of the need to, to stay communicative and stay collegial. Uh, what do you see coming for the Oregon wine industry? What's, what's next here? Um, well, there's certainly that, that transition that I talked about. I think that's going to be interesting to observe. Um, quality of wines. Um, what happens within the community because you've got you've got these other generations that are still really the drivers of it and I, I'm fortunate to to know a few of them and be in you know not in their circle but around enough to to hear the conversation and and which gets me thinking which is good it's that exposure of what's gonna happen you know and, and I'm sure it's scary you know because what their parents built and what they continued to build on I mean you know it's kind of it's a baby, you know, um, and I can't imagine that that fear because I'm sure it exists, you know. However, I think that there are some some great individuals in this valley that that will do a good job carrying that torch. But I think there's other elements to it that, you know, what created this needs it needs to continue. Um, I think I said it well is, you know, the, the feeling of we got there should never, should never be even a thought. Um, because then it just, I don't want to say it dies, but you know, but then you, know, you, you lose that community, you lose that collaboration. And I think with the changing environment, I think that will kind of be the catalyst to, to continue those conversations. I think sustainability, I think, um, you know, opening the, the industry up uh, to be more inclusive of, of different peoples, you know, um, pushing that, you know, forward. Oregon's always been, a, Oregon in general has always been a, a driver of, of, of progress. No matter what it is, it doesn't matter, it's progress, you know. So I think 
navigating that it will be interesting and, and seeing who really wants to be involved and who doesn't. And so, you know, it's an ongoing conversation, always. Be it here or, or outside, grabbing beers or whatever, you know, it's, it's how can these individuals, you know, continue on. Other varietals, I mean, we get warmer. Things are going to come in. And, you know, as winemakers, you want to, you know, yes, we make great Pinot and Chardonnay, but you're always like, what else can we do? You know, prior, prior to the acquisition, we were doing Dolcetto and Arnais and Pinot Blanc. And I mean, it's as a winemaker, it's, it's what you want. You, you want to, you know, make a bunch of different stuff and have fun. But, you know, you got to sell it. And it's hard sometimes, you know, and you don't want to put it on them and be like, hey, I made all this whatever. And now you got to sell it. You know, it doesn't really make sense, you know, what we're doing with our portfolio, but you got to sell it. <laughs> Uh, well, that's that's where side projects come come in, you know, and and you, you bring in a little bit of fruit, you make a little bit of wine, and you know, either just keep it for yourself or give it to family and friends or try to sell it. I mean, making wine's pretty easy; selling it's the hard part. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that whatever the future is for the industry, I feel it to be bright and not dark. Just you know, to TBD, right? To to be determined. Talk a little bit about your own future here. I'm curious, uh, beyond just work here, what else are you looking ahead to? You mentioned kind of playing around with other varietals. Do you have a side project in mind? Do you have other, do you have other kind of growth opportunities in mind? Yep, yeah, I do, I do have a side project. I have my, I have a very small little label um, that I wanted to do in 2020, but uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Luckily, I was working with a family um, some some fruit out in Eolamity that were t totally cool and I said look I I want the fruit still can I just roll my contract that you know paid a little bit to cover some um, farming costs because you know crop insurance is expensive but um, yeah rolled in at 21 and brought in a little bit of Gamay um, my label is Grumio which is my middle name and my my late mother's maiden name and so it's kind of pain homage to, to her and, and the family name. Um, small production, and it's not exclusively to Gamay. I don't know if I'm gonna do something this year. Just, just depends on how busy you are and how much extra money you got. So yeah, I, 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 love, I love the, the kind of pet project stuff. And um, you know, Julia has hers here too, Little Hellion, and I, you know, help, working with her, helping her uh, is always fun, you know, she's, full bore on that project, which is good. We just, we just actually put her uh, 22 vintage to bottle la last week, last week it was. Um, so we did our tirage bottling for our Ponzi 22 vintage, um, and we always do little hellion at that time too. So that's pretty cool that we are allowed to have our little, um, little fun. Um, growing that, I don't know, also TBD, you know. How much time do I have? You know, I wish our days were 48 hours and not 24. Just anything else you're looking ahead to, whether it's in wine or beyond? Um, that, you know, work, what we've discussed. I'd love, I'd love to buy some land out here, you know, and that'd be fun. But no, fishing, camping, enjoying the summer as much as I can. And yeah, that's pretty much it. So the last question for you is uh, if, someone were, if you were to talk to someone who was interested in joining the Oregon wine industry, what would your advice or words of wisdom to them be? Ooh. Um, 
Understand you're gonna work hard. Understand that you need thick skin. Um, it's, it's, an intense, it's an intense environment, you know, it can, and, it, and sometimes it can be too intense. But uh, at the end of the day, we are part of something that, as I mentioned before, humans have been doing for a long time. It's a job that is grounded in nature and cultivation and craft and artistry of creativity. I mean, there are so many rewarding things that you do certainly have to work for, but once, once you get there at whatever stage that is for you, whatever there is, um, it's so worth it. You know, yes, there is a burnout rate and you know, but I, I think it's how you manage your time and your personal health and go camping, go fishing, go travel, go do pottery, whatever it is that you do, find that balance, you know, um, it isn't all about work. Uh, but as I learned very early on, my dad said, you know, if, if, if you love doing it, you'll never, you'll never work a day in your life. I love doing it. I'm certainly working, but <laughs> you know, uh, certainly working, but I, but I do love it. And that, that helps take the edge off a little bit. Um, you don't make much money. Don't expect that or else you're always going to be pissed off and upset and you will grow resentful. Uh, it's not about it. It's not one of those cre careers that is about that. It looks like it is. Um, and there's certainly money involved, but it's, it's not about that. And if you're in it for that, you're in, you've picked the wrong thing because you'll be angry a lot. Um, and just have fun, travel, learn. You know, not everything requires a college education. You can certainly pick up a wealth of knowledge by just going to a different country, working with different winemakers, hanging out with, with other people, you know, talking, collaborating. You know, it's, it's a bit non-traditional. And certainly you can make it as non-traditional as you want. Um, traditional is boring, so, you know. <laughs> Keep it fun, keep it light, work hard, be safe, and, you know, the, there's a lot to gain from it. All right. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you. Anything I didn't ask, anything I didn't ask that I should have, anything we didn't cover? I think so. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, sharing your stories, this beautiful space. Thank you to all the birds for providing a bevy of background. I know, right? Get that as well. We've got a, we got blackbirds that live in here. We've got, yep, little, oh, look at you. Yep. <laughs> We got hummingbirds, I mean, whatever. We get, we get the falcons in here. His voice defies his size, I would say. Oh, yeah, totally. Thank you so much, we appreciate your time. Yeah. I'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.